Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. All right, good morning, Mercy family. Good morning. Yeah. Man, y'all, this is really an incredible season in the life of our church. If you're newer with us, I just want to call you today to jump in with us. Um, I'm here at our Northeast campus, Providence Road campus. Welcome. Good morning. We are so glad you're here. Listen, we got something we do about once a month. We call it Starting Point. And it really is, uh, for if you're new around here, a chance to orient you to who we are and what we're about here at Mercy Church, all right? So if you're here at Northeast, uh, we're going to have directions on where you can go for that, but it's just right after the service for about 15 minutes. If you're at Providence Road, it really is just right down front uh, at the stage at the end of service. Listen, the New Testament makes so clear that connecting to a local body of believers matters. And I can't tell you if uh, here, Mercy Church, I can't tell you if this is the one for you, but we can give you everything you need to help you figure that out, all right? And here's my last promise to you. If you came with a friend, that friend will stay with you for starting point, and then we'll take you to lunch and pay for it so that y'all can talk about it, okay? Because I just committed them to it, so now it's pastor's orders. Uh, So you got lunch today. Isn't that awesome what has happened for you just being here? Um, For real, we used to do this all the time in college. Uh, We would bring someone new, and uh, our church was right by a Bojangles, and so we would go to church, and then we would have a really greasy conversation, right, after church, Um, and maybe that's what you need to do today. I will say one thing you do need to put on the calendar next Sunday is Mother's Day. You've been pastored, okay? Make plans accordingly. If you got your Bible, uh, get it out, turn to Exodus 8. We're going to have about three more weeks in Exodus after this one. Uh, No, we will not get to the end of the book of Exodus by that point. This uh, whole little series that we're in, we'll just call Exodus part one, where we're seeing them go out of Egypt. And we'll come back to the book of Exodus most likely next year. And if some of you, if you're asking the question, well, why not just like stay in Exodus? Well, here's why. A little bit of behind the scenes and sermon planning. Um, a lot of you, they say that the average time someone lives in the city of Charlotte is about four years. All right? So that means you're not going to be here long, right? So what I want to do in those four years that you're here with us, now listen, I believe this is an incredible city and you should stay here and plant for decades. But that's just what stats are saying, okay? So if you're here for four years, what I want to do over this four-year period is expose you to every genre of scripture so that you can learn how to walk with God from anywhere in the Bible. It's his sacred, holy word, and so I want you to be able to handle it and meet him in it, all right? That's why our series are usually about six to eight weeks. Sometimes they're a little bit longer, all right? So at the end of May, when we finish this series, we're going to launch into the New Testament book of Philippians, all right? And I can't wait. This is a very, um, this book in particular was very crucial in my life as I kind of got out of the backseat of my parents' faith and walking with Jesus became my own thing. This book really, really helped me, so I'm pretty excited. But today, Exodus 8. 
If you remember last week, Exodus 7, we saw the first plague, right? God turned the Nile River, the primary source of water in Egypt, God turned it into blood. Well, today, we're going to see three more plagues. And I'll go ahead and tell you, while they are, they are different, they're going to feel similar to one another. I'm going to highlight the distinct differences, but the way Moses, our author, the way he writes them, they're intentionally repetitive. And I want us to lean into the repetitiveness, because I think God has something for us in that. Kind of like, um, you know how you get a hold of a good music album, and you just put that thing on repeat? Right? Like right now, Hamilton is in Charlotte. I went to see it in Greensboro where the tickets were a third of the price, but it's in Charlotte right now. And I love that soundtrack. I love the, when it came out, I was listening to it nonstop. And when the mixtape came out, listen to that thing nonstop, right? And here's why. The first few times I would be listening, but I'm doing some other stuff, kind of distracted. And they talk so fast and they sing so fast that I miss half of what's going on, right? So there's that little button on Spotify that kind of looks like a loop and you press it and it says enable repeat and then it'll just go back and it'll play again, right? And I can hit that and I can hear it a few times and then for whatever reason, like the fifth or 20th time, that's when I finally heard the message of one song or finally got what they were talking about in another song. I think the way the accounts of the plagues are written, I think that's what God's doing. Like, each plague is unique, but the 10 plagues all together, the way they're written are like an album where God is saying something. I was struggling this week on how to, like, structure our sermon for you guys, and I realized, because I was, I, was, I was like, man, I'm going to say some things that I've already said before, so I feel like I'm on repeat. And then I, it hit me, that's good. It's really good that, I, basically, guys, if you've been around church a long time, I'm not going to say anything new today. But then I realized that's good. That's the design. We need to press the repeat button on God's word. I think that's what the plagues force us to do, to press repeat on what God is saying to us. Now, look, some of you are new to church, brand new. And so you're going to be hearing these songs, so to speak, for the first time. And that's really good. We actually need you among us so that we can see what it's like to hear God's word with fresh eyes. And some of you are going to hear, you're going to hear people around you, if you are new to church, you're going to hear them around you saying things like, amen, and that's good. That's because they've heard the song before, and they catch feelings when these truths that they hear that are familiar are spoken because they've experienced God's faithfulness in those truths. Last thing I say about this before we open up chapter eight. You know, as these truths are the same over a long time, how many of you Christians are thankful that our God is unchanging? over all this time. Like, it's a good thing for us that not only is his truth the same, he is the same. Hebrews 13, 8, yesterday, today, and forever. That the God of Moses is the God of Hussein Bender, is the God of Mandy, the God of Carter. He's the same God as he was then with the same power and the same promises as he has right now. And that's good. Because we do not need new truth today for the new situation that you found yourself in since last Sunday, what you need is old truth that you can trust God will use in the new situation you found yourself in. Sometimes for us, uh, for, for Christians, this is the way pride lurks among us on a Sunday morning. It's to say, you've already heard this. You already heard this. Let's just wait to see if he has something new to say. 
and then sermon listening becomes hunting for truth nuggets instead of savoring biblical truth and letting the Holy Spirit use it in the fresh moment that we're in. So we're gonna be about that today. As we look at this wild set of circumstances, you'll see in a way it was written so that these wonderful truths from long ago are completely applicable today about the God who delivers his people. So let's look at it and we'll get into it. Are you guys ready? Oh man, I love our church so much. I heard you all the way from Northeast Charlotte, Providence Road, so pumped. Let's go. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and tell him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so that they may worship me. All right, already, if you've been with us, this theme has come through enough that we are going to repeat it out loud together. When God says to go into Pharaoh and say, let my people go, it's for a purpose. So on the count of three, let's all say the purpose together, and it'll be on the screen, both campuses. Let my people go, one, two, three, so that they may worship me. Yes, God's destination for his people is not just liberated from something, it's for worship. Adam and Eve were made for it, the Israelites were made for it, you and I are made for it. In fact, if we're doing a soundtrack, this is track one right here. All people are made to worship God. And God delivering his people from slavery in Egypt to worship. That's a foreshadowing of Christ and how he'll deliver us from slavery to sin to worship him. You're made for it. Y'all, when we're in heaven, this is what's gonna be happening. It's gonna be us worshiping. And it's not gonna get old because we'll be experiencing finally in full, unencumbered what we're made for. And I'm not just talking about singing, by the way. I'm talking Romans 12:1, giving our whole lives as service to God because it's our spiritual act of worship. This is why when we are in worship on Sunday mornings and we're singing, this is why our hands go up. It's, it's just modeling surrender. It's a heart posture being expressed in our hands. Like my whole life, I'm giving it to you, God. My whole life is worship. My job isn't about building my 401k, it's about worship. My position in my friend group isn't about securing popularity, it's about worship. My whole life is an offering of thanksgiving to God. And I had a a word spoken over me this week that I wanna give to some of you Christians, some of you are wonderful servants of Christ. And what you need to hear is that God did not save you so that he could use you. Now he does. He does use you for his glory. That's why we're all about next steps here, so you can grow in how he has gifted you for your life. But in Christ, you are not a tool. You are a son or daughter. He saved you so that you could know him and worship him. That's it. And so I would just want from this moment forward in our worship time, I want you to feel a release from needing to perform for God and just worship in your community group, in your workplace. Just abide and worship God. Make your home in his love for you. Your purpose is worship. Verse two, but if you refuse to let them go, this is the Lord telling Moses what to say to Pharaoh, then I will plague all your territory with frogs. 
which some of y'all new to the Bible are like, interesting choice. I'll explain in a second. The Nile will swarm with frogs. They will come up and go into your palace, into your bedroom and on your bed, and into the houses of your officials and your people, and into your ovens and your kneading bowls. The frogs will come up on you, your people, and all your officials. I just want you to let that sink in for a second, okay? Just like, think about frogs everywhere. The Nile will swarm with them. All right, here's the deal. Frogs were associated with two gods. Talked a little bit about last week. First was the god of the Nile, but then also is the god of fertility. So where does he say the frogs will go? They'll come up from the Nile and into the bedroom and then everywhere. See, what's happening is the gods they thought were there to bless them, the god of the Nile, the god of fertility, will now be a curse to them. What they thought made life good in the end was going to make life really bad. This is pretty easy application right here. Is there anything in your life that you give your devotion to, your time, your energy, your money, that you think is good for you, or you thought was good for you, but it slowly starts to, or maybe quickly, starts to reveal itself to be toxic? Something that promised pleasure but delivered pain. All I can say is if that's where you find yourself now, maybe God is revealing your little G God to be worthless so you'll turn back to him. Verse five, the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, canals, and ponds, and cause the frogs to come up onto the land of Egypt. And so when Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. Y'all, I'm just, this is going to be a little like, uh, we're just going to, Listen, this is the interlude between the two tracks. I don't know if that's what that's called, but look. When God says he will do something, that's what happens. Like, he says he will do it, and he does it. This is such a good thing for us, that our God is faithful to his word fully and completely. Verse 7, i got to keep going. The magicians did the same thing by their occult practices and brought frogs up onto the land of Egypt, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, appeal to the Lord to remove the frogs from me and my people. Then I will let the people go and they can sacrifice to the Lord. All right. At this point, Pharaoh has got to be frustrated with his guys. Like, what did they just do? The occult magicians. They put more frogs into Egypt. Guys, I don't need more frogs right now. It's the one thing we got way too much of. How is this helpful? Like, it's interesting to me that the one true God, the name Jehovah is what we're going to see, or Yahweh, Jehovah, the way it's talked about, he's talked about. It's interesting that as he turns these false gods against them, the magicians cannot push back. In efforts to do so, in an effort for these false gods to compete, they actually only worsen the situation. <laughs> How many times do I see people starting to see that their God is failing them only to go harder at it? Work's a big one. Many of you have worshiped at the temple of work for your whole adult life. And then in your early 30s, you start to get stressed and get stressed at work. So what do you do? You double down and work harder. It doesn't make the stress go away. It multiplies your stress. And God in his grace, what's happening there is he's trying to, he's upending your little G God so you can come to him for identity, which is really looking for, that's what you're looking for, that's why you're stressed out, because you're not sure if you're going to get that approval that you really want. And he's saying, instead of going there to that powerless job, come to him. 
And you can see the proof of it. Pharaoh doesn't go to his magician and say, hey guys, can you flip that switch and like make him go away instead of adding? No, he, just, he doesn't. He goes to Moses and Aaron because he sees they're the only ones with the access to the power that can change things. Verse nine, Moses said to Pharaoh, I love this so much. Well, you know what? You may have the honor of choosing. When should I appeal on behalf of you, your officials and your people, that the frogs be taken away from you and your houses and remain only in the Nile? Like, I'm gonna let you in on this, man. Verse 10, tomorrow, Pharaoh answered. Now, I know what you're thinking. That is not the correct answer. The correct answer is right now, right? Immediately. But Pharaoh understands there's an exchange that's happening here where Pharaoh understands he's asking what day. So really tomorrow is his way of saying the next possible day as soon as as possible. And notice what Moses says though, y'all. Back in verse nine, when should I appeal on behalf of you? Moses doesn't say, when do you want me to get him away? Like, that's what Pharaoh's asking for. Hey, Moses and Aaron, make it stop. And Moses says, well, when should I appeal on behalf of you? Moses is saying, I actually don't have the power. I have access to the power. And I'll go ahead and appeal on behalf of my enemies to the one who has the power. When Jesus says in Matthew 5, Luke 6, 28, to pray for those who persecute you, he's not introducing something new. He's modeling Moses. And Moses replied, as you have said, so that you may know there is no one like the Lord our God, the frogs will go away from you. Your houses, your officials, and your people, the frogs will remain only in the Nile. Man, look at that. So that you may know, so that, think about it. Why would Moses give Pharaoh some sense, any sense of control in this process? It's a stroke of evangelistic genius. By giving him some say and when relief comes, Pharaoh's gonna be just confronted with, there's no other explanation. Remember what I told you last week? The world would rather have irrational explanations that deny God than rational explanations that accept him. Well, Moses is basically bringing Pharaoh into the content of his prayer life, further revealing there's no one like the one true God. I love this. You know, we don't have any reason to believe, by the way, that Moses like went over, let me go speak with my manager, consulted with the manager, and then came back and said, okay, when do you want it to be? He didn't do that. He didn't text God to see if tomorrow was good. No, he trusted that God was about exalting himself in Pharaoh's eyes and he went for it. Now I know we've got, Moses has a prophetic commission. God told him, you're gonna be like God to Pharaoh. I know. We may not have that same specific commission, but we do have the same access that Moses had. Are we using it? Look at verse 12. Watch Moses use this access. After Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, Moses cried out to the Lord for help concerning the frogs that he had brought against Pharaoh. Prayer, prayer. That's the means by which God unleashes his power in the plagues. I should say, that's the means by which he unleashes his mercy in the plagues. Isn't that wild? This would be track two for me. 
on things that you're going to see throughout Scripture, familiar truths that we need today. Prayer is the means by which God unleashes his mercy in the world. Is that how you view prayer? Is it how I view prayer? I find the whole plague situation, this big reminder that people are God's chosen instruments for accomplishing his purposes in the world. And the way they do that is they go and they pray to him, thereby showing it isn't us that has the power, it's him, it's he who is merciful, it's he who has the power to bring that mercy, that relief to hearts and bodies and situations and circumstances and relationships. That's God's constant calling to his people, that we who do have the access to that power are to go to him on behalf of the people that we live and work among. God can heal people. We know that. What does he call the church to do? He says, church, you go and you pray. You bring in the elders and you pray and then I will heal. He calls his people to it. Prayer, look, I was trying to think of the right um, illustration for this. Prayer is like the, um, you know, power lines, you know those, like they run on poles. You know what I'm talking about. This is me coming up with illustrations in the morning, trying to think, how can I get this to connect? Look, prayer is like the power line that runs from that power plant source thing, wherever it is. I don't know this, okay? My job is to teach the Bible. Somebody else <laughs> handles electricity planning for the city, all right? What I know is prayer is a lot like the power line that runs from that power source into your home. Is there any power in the line itself? No. Right? It is a conduit. It's a conduit of power. That's what prayer is like. As we pray, we are channeling God's power into whatever situation or circumstance we're praying about. Now, I'm not saying he's a genie and we're, prayer is like rubbing the lamp. No, I'm saying he's chosen to unleash his merciful power through our prayer. But it's all up to him how he does it. Verse 13. The Lord did as Moses had said. The frogs in the houses, courtyards, and fields died. They piled them up in countless heaps, and there was a terrible odor in the land. Can you? I don't even know. I don't know what millions of frogs smells like. It can't be good. Verse 15, when Pharaoh saw there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. There is a theme that we are seeing with Pharaoh coming up so many times. I can't not make it one of our tracks today, one of our songs today. The way Pharaoh keeps hardening his heart, here's all I'll tell you guys. Circumstances are weak saviors. They are weak saviors. Pharaoh's not like yielding to God. That We keep seeing that. He yields, but then he doesn't really yield. He just wants temporary relief from hardship. Now, I do believe sometimes hardship, tough circumstances are the things that God will use to wake you up to your need for him. I think that's part of what God is doing here. But if you only find yourself praying when life is difficult, God is not your heavenly father. He's your heavenly paramedic. There to give you first aid, improve your circumstances, and then get out of your way until you run into trouble again. You ever heard the saying, there are no atheists in foxholes? It's the idea that when the bullets start flying, you will start praying. My offering to you today, God's offering always to you, is to bring the desperation of 
before God that you have in that foxhole of your life, to bring that into the everyday. Because circumstances are weak saviors. And when they change, they'll always, they do change all the time, and they will let you down. Verse 16, then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the land, and it will become gnats. The dust, it will become gnats throughout the land of Egypt. And they did this. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff, and when he struck the dust of the land, gnats were on people. I'm just trying to pause in each one of these, let you feel it a little bit. On people and animals, all the dust, not some of the dust, not a little bit of the dust over there, all the dust of the land became gnats throughout the land of Egypt. The magicians tried to produce gnats using their occult practices, but they could not. The gnats remained on people and animals. I love this verse, verse 19. This is the finger of God, the magician said to Pharaoh. But Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen to them. Now, we knew this was coming. We've been seeing it already. Eventually, these magicians would prove to be no match at all for the one true God. And in a little bit of a surprise, I think, they actually own it. This is the finger of God. This is surrender. It's a really important moment. From here on out, the magicians fade into the background. We're not really going to see them much because they have been outmatched. Moses and Aaron, they're not sorcerers performing tricks. The only explanation is that there is one God. If we're on the soundtrack of God's greatest hits, this one might be the most prominent. This is a big truth in Christianity there is only one God. Couldn't help but think this week of the um, centurion by the cross when Jesus dies. If you know the, the account, he dies, an earthquake happens, the curtain of the temple sanctuary is torn in two from top to bottom. The dead rise out of their graves and start walking around. The centurion standing there, all of a sudden, the one who had power now feels really small and overpowered. He says clearly, this is the son of God. This is the call of, the God, of God to every one of us. He is the one true God. He is alpha. He is omega. He created the world by just his breath. He sustains it. He controls it. And he loves it. He is powerful, unchanging. He is omnipresent so much you cannot escape him. He is faithful, just, merciful, and true. He is a good father. He's a powerful king. He's a righteous judge. He is holy, sovereign, and eternal. And in our relationship with him, he sets the terms, not us. But incredibly, y'all, his terms are an invitation. Come to him. Don't harden your heart. Some of you have been fighting God. I just want to ask you, like Pharaoh's intentionally put in front of us the way he is, like I said last week, like a, a literary foil, an example of what not to do. Like, what's it going to take for Pharaoh? The question is, what's it going to take for you to finally surrender to him? Maybe you've got questions, that's fine. Ask your questions. I love that, y'all. I love that we're a church where you can come in not believing, not knowing anything about God and Christianity and come and ask questions. But the, at the end of the day, you're going to have to decide, 
Is the God of the Bible the one true God? And if he is, then you can't come to him with demands. You got to come to him as a repentant sinner in need of forgiveness, which leads right to the awesome last track that I think we'll get to today. Verse 20, the Lord said to Moses, it's our third plague, get up early in the morning, present yourself to Pharaoh when you see him going out of the water, tell him this is what the Lord says, let my people go so that they may worship me. But if you will not let my people go, then I will send swarms of flies against you, your officials, your people, and your houses. The Egyptians' houses will swarm with flies, and so will the land where they live. But on that day, I will give special treatment to the land of Goshen, where my people are living. No flies will be there. This way you will know that I, the Lord, am in the land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. And this sign will take place tomorrow. It's the first time we see this in the plagues, not the last. God's people are going to be spared from judgment on sin. This is track five, y'all. It's the gospel track. Which is kind of funny, like gospel music track. This is a gospel track, all right? God saves his people. God saves his people. God's people were set apart already a long time ago because of his covenant with Abraham. You're my people, and he had promised, and he had passed that promise down to Jacob, and he said, I, one day I will bring you up out of that land. And as an evangelistic message to Pharaoh, God says, so that you will know that I, the Lord, am here. I'm going to protect my people, who I've made my people. They didn't do anything. I made them my people. I chose them, and the relief I'm bringing to them carries a message to you, Pharaoh. Y'all, the wonderful hope of Scripture is that God now extends the same offer of protection from judgment due onto sin. He extends the same offer to you and I to come and be a part of his people. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's Romans 6, 23. Salvation, being grafted into God's people, who he saves is received through repentance and acceptance of that gift. Salvation's a gift. You can't earn this gift through your holiness. It's just a gift to be received by sinners. I love that. To be received by sinners who turn their hearts. And you can receive it today. This is not a new nugget of truth, I'm telling you today. It's the announcement of good news for all people that Jesus brought with them into the world 2,000 years ago. It's not new, but it's the most important message we will ever hear. And the most important decision we'll ever make is whether or not you'll turn from your sin, turn to God, receive that forgiveness and eternal life from the God who is giving it to you. Nothing new here today. Beautiful, ancient truth. But maybe, maybe God's put you in a place in your life, in a seat, in this moment, where you can finally hear it and receive it and take a step. Here's how we're going to respond. We're going to respond to this message from God's word by taking communion together, both of our campuses, where Jesus said, what I love, 
He said, as often as you take this, we're going to remember him. This was intended to be repetitive. Maybe the most common track that the church hears is the message of he got up on the cross and took the plague of death for you and I so that we could be spared that judgment that we deserved and we could be reconciled to God. And we're supposed to remember that regularly, regularly, just to warm our hearts, draw our hearts back to the love of God for us. So at our Providence Road campus, Pastor Jake is going to lead us. I'm going to pray for us, and then Pastor Jake will lead us there, and I'll lead us here. But let's pray together and set our hearts back towards the love of Christ for us. God, thank you so much for your goodness, for your kindness. Thank you in this last little moment of this plague, we are reminded you spare your people. You take what we deserve and you put it on a Christ. And you invite us to be reconciled to you, to come and walk with you, to find life with you, to find purpose with you. The one true God who is not powerless, he is powerful. He is good. He loves us. I pray, Father, that as we go into communion, would your love, would your love be the, the main focus of our hearts? We see the plagues. We see you create that wall around your people. Not because of anything they did, but because of your love. You chose them. We don't have to perform to find our way out of, out of judgment on sin. We don't perform our way. No. No, you invite us in. When we repent, turn back to you. So I pray, Father, as, as we do that this morning, stir our hearts, refresh us in our love for you. We thank you for the hope of Christ. And it's his name we pray. Amen. Amen.